You can be seated. We're in a series entitled Blueprint, God's Design for the Church, and we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We, we started this just a couple of weeks ago, and when we started, we talked about how that, that God is writing through Paul, the apostle, to Pastor Timothy. That sounds kind of weird. When we think of Timothy in the Bible, we don't think of Pastor Timothy, but he was. He was a pastor of a church in Ephesus, and the apostle Paul is writing to him. Uh, the apostle Paul calls him uh, my true child in the faith, and we don't know if Paul actually had the opportunity to lead Timothy to the Lord, uh, because the Apostle Paul talks about how Timothy's grandmother and mother really gave him that foundation uh, for Christ by raising him up to follow God. But we do know that the Apostle Paul mentored him, that he discipled him. So Timothy was with Paul for a good while, and the Apostle Paul poured his life into Timothy, and now they're apart. Timothy's in Ephesus, he's pastoring this church, and the Apostle Paul writes and, and begins by telling him uh, really to, to warn those who are teaching falsely. So, so he really gives Timothy some, some outlines on what do you do about false teaching. And, and we talked about that last week. This week, really, uh, I, I think the, the Apostle Paul is getting to what I would consider to be uh, the hinge pin. By the way, I'm, I'm looking on my, my version app. If you have that, you can turn there. Uh, and you can you can find your your notes on there as well. I forgot to do that, so I'm doing that, and I have trouble doing more than one thing at a time. Anybody with me there? I'm trying trying to do more than one thing at a time. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and, and today really what he's getting into is what I would consider to be uh, really the the hinge pin of Christianity. This is what it's all about, and the Apostle Paul is really getting to to the gospel for Timothy. What is the gospel? We think of a lot of times the gospel is that that's where you share with someone who isn't a believer, someone who isn't a Christian, and they come to faith in Christ. And we just, we just had vacation Bible school, so if like, you see some uh, droopy eyes around, they probably were involved in vacation Bible school somehow. We had, yeah, even some of the kids uh, maybe look a little bit tired. We had 109, 108, I forget, um, kids, in, including the students, um, and, and we had 10 decisions. That's pretty cool. Yep. And there are about 38 really tired workers um, around <laughs> somewhere. And, and so, so just coming off of vacation Bible school, you know, the gospel is really on our mind. And, and, and we always think about that, though, is, is I'm going to go share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus. But what I want us to discover today uh, in this letter to Timothy, is that the gospel is about so much more than simply coming to faith in Christ. And the gospel really should permeate every area of our lives. And so the gospel, uh, the, let me just read the, the passage to you and then we'll go back and kind of unpack it a little bit. The Apostle Paul begins in, in verse 12 and he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. I love that, that image. The, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here's the saying he's talking about. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's awesome. Of whom I am the foremost. The Apostle Paul says, and I'm the biggest one. Um, I think the Apostle Paul spoke frankly, so he, I, I think he didn't wake up a day in his life after he came to Christ without remembering that he was a persecutor of the church, that he was responsible for the death of many believers. He says, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, that is the foremost sinner, Christ, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. So the Apostle Paul really gets to, to, to what I would consider to be the gospel in a nutshell. Are you ready? He says that Jesus came to save sinners. We try to make it real complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated. We try to say, all right, well, so there's this thing about you've got to confess your sin and you've got to repent. And you know, we, we, we try to explain all that and try to get someone to have a full understanding of, of all the doctrine of salvation. And, and you know, we just came off of vacation Bible school. You, you have to try to keep it simple. And sometimes I think we need that for us adults too. And the gospel is simply this, that Jesus came to save sinners. I can remember that. <laughs> But we need to remember that that's not only talking about justification, the point where we come to faith in Christ, but it's talking about sanctification. Let me explain the difference between the two. Justification is that part of salvation where God takes away our sin. A good way to remember that is he makes us just as if I'd never sinned, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And he does that by placing our sin upon Jesus on the cross and then pouring his wrath, his punishment out upon Christ that we deserve. So that in Romans chapter 8, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because Jesus was condemned for our sin. We think of there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ like nobody's going to criticize me. Well, that's not the world I live in. Um, what it means is that there is no more wrath of God for us because Jesus took it all. That's being justified. And, and if we're not careful, we'll think that the gospel only has to do with that. And I think that's why, as churches, we've really failed with helping people grow in their relationship with God. Because we're like, okay, we know that their eternity is secure because they've come to faith in Christ. Woo, my job. All right, we're done with you. So now let's go over and find someone else that if they, if they were to die right now, that they would spend eternity away from God. And, and we need to do that, but, but we don't need to neglect. The gospel doesn't stop at the moment that you come to faith in Christ. It goes, actually the gospel goes on until glorification. And that leads us to the next one, this sanctification. What that means is we're being sanctified. We're being made holy. Some of you are like, well, I must be moving really slow. That, that the sanctification is still part of the salvation. It's part of the gospel, but it's where God is making us into the image of Jesus. And he does that on a daily basis in our life. But you know what? That's still the gospel. Even in this part of sanctification, we need to remember that Jesus came to save sinners. 
that he's still working on me, that he's still changing me, that he's still making me into the image of Christ. Well, let me give you two other words we'll talk about for a moment, and they all kind of fall in here. One is redemption. Jesus came to redeem us. I love this word. Because redeem means he buys us back. Uh, Think about it. uh, This idea of redemption is that we are being restored in sanctification. We're being restored to our original position with God. Isn't that cool? Now think about this. This is hard for me to imagine. Someday, for those who are in Christ, we will be perfect and without sin. Anybody there yet? You raised your hand, you lied. (laughs) Or you were mistaken. I I need to make that clarification with students. Um, Sometimes I'll say, uh, you know, this is going to happen at this time, and then that's not right. It's a different time. They go, you lied. I'm like, no, how about I was just wrong? None of us are perfect yet. Someday we will be. And I can't, I I can say those words, but I can't imagine what that's going to be like. Someday I will be in the image of Christ, that there won't be this disparity that we see and feel in in this world right now. He is redeeming. He is in the process of redeeming me, of restoring me to the original that God had always intended for me. Unbroken by sin like I am now. Unbroken by sin, although I'm broken by sin now. I didn't want to mean that I'm, anyways, I'm not there yet. So let's, let's talk about salvation uh, for a moment. It says in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we are to be saved. Salvation is more than saving us from our sin. It, let me say it this way. It's more than saving us from the penalty of our sin. Jesus does save us from the penalty of our sin, but he also saves us from the promise of sin. Let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. That is that we, those who are in Christ, we have been justified. Our sin is taken away. It is taken care of. In fact, Paul writes in another place that, that he has canceled the record of debt. Isn't that cool? How would you like to, if you've got a mortgage and you send your mortgage payment in, And the company contacts you and says, you know what? We don't have any record that you owe us anything. Yeah. Yeah. You would say, oh, no, no. Here, let me send you the paperwork. (laughs) But but that's what what happens with us. When when we are are justified, we're we're saved from the penalty of sin. Our, Our record of debt is canceled. It's gone. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. There's no basis upon which God can condemn you for your sin because Jesus was condemned for your sin. That's the penalty. But he also saves us from the promise of sin. Here's the promise of sin. Sin gives an empty promise of fulfillment. Travel back with me to Genesis. You don't have to go there. Uh, I'll tell you the story. You know it probably. Genesis chapter 3, God had had created the Garden of Eden, and I don't think this was, you know, I grew up in in the city. I grew up right in the middle of Dallas-Fort Worth in in the mid-cities, and and we had a garden, okay? And so I I, I struggled with this for a long time as a new believer. 
um, because our garden was like a quarter of our backyard, which wasn't all that big. Um, the Garden of Eden, I don't think, was like a little plot out there. I think the Garden of Eden it went further than the eye could see. I think that there were probably so many trees that bore fruit that Adam and Eve, if they wanted to, could just go from tree to tree to tree to tree, and they might not even have had to repeat for a long, long, long time. And God said, all of this is for you. You can eat from any of these trees, only don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat from that, you'll die. Then along comes the serpent. By the way, the Bible's so much fun to read. If you think about it, so here's this serpent walking on two legs because later when he's cursed, he crawls on his belly. So he's walking on two legs and he speaks to Eve and she doesn't run away. When we were getting ready for vacation Bible school, um, I was a real stinker as a little kid. I'm still a bit of a stinker. And, and so I, I was bringing a box for one of our students who was helping us set up and uh, to, to put some stuff in. And, and when I picked it up, you know, there's a, a little wolf spider in there. And I said, hey, hey this will be fun. And so I bring this in, and, and I hand it to her, and I say, um, watch out for the spider. And she's like, oh, ha, 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 and she throws this stuff in there, and that little dude comes running out. She wouldn't let me get near her for a while. She may still not. I don't know. Eve has the serpent walking up to her and speaks to her, and she doesn't run away and scream. And here's what he says. He starts giving this, this empty promise of sin. He says, is it true? That God said you can't eat from any of these trees? What he's trying to do is, is help her think, he's, he's wanting her to think that there's an emptiness that needs to be filled. And she says, no, 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 that, that's not true. He said that we, we can eat from any of those trees, we just can't eat from this tree or touch it, I don't know where she got that, uh, or we'll die. And the serpent said, that's not true. He says, here's what it is. You're lacking something. This is my paraphrase. You're lacking something right now. You see, God knows that the day you eat from that tree, that your eyes will be opened and you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. You see, there's an emptiness, and, and if you do this, it'll fill that for you. See, that's what sin does. Sin gives you a promise of fulfillment, but it's an empty promise. Because salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. You can only be fulfilled in him. And Satan used that tactic from the beginning. He still, he still uses it on us. He says, you know what? Man, for, for those of you, we got some singles in here. If you meet the right guy, that's it. If you meet the right girl, you know. Uh, for others, it's like, man, if you get the right job, if you're in college, it'd be like, if you pick the right major, you know, <laughs> if you get the right teacher, it, it's always this empty promise. It, you don't have it, but man, if you, just, if you just had that, and it's empty because it, only Jesus can fill that spot. Only Jesus. How many of you have heard this in a romantic comedy? You complete me. Yeah. I remember Jerry Maguire, it's one of the famous lines, you know, you had me at hello. <laughs> you know, you complete me. No person can complete you, only Jesus. No thing can complete you, only Jesus. Howard Hughes, at the time, the rich, I always have to be careful, I used to confuse him with Howard, who's Hefner, who was that? That one, Hugh Hefner. 
Way different. They're way different. Um, Howard Hughes was the rich guy. Um, Howard Hughes, at the time, the, probably the wealthiest man on the planet, certainly the wealthiest man in the U.S., and they said, how much is enough? How much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. That's the empty promise. Just a little bit more. You don't have it now. Man, get it then. Only Jesus can do that. That's the gospel that Jesus came to save sinners from everything. The gospel should permeate every area of our lives. Think about your relationships. The, the gospel should, should permeate your relationships. And if you're looking to Jesus to save, then your relationship doesn't have to save you. If you're looking to Jesus to save, your job doesn't have to save you. If you're looking for Jesus to save, now I know that this probably happened with my generation, so it was probably our fault. Um, but if Jesus saves, your kids don't have to save you. That doesn't have to fill you. Your grandkids, I, I'm not there yet. I hear that that's like an amazing thing. Um, grandkids, I, I think it's probably because you get to spoil them rotten and send them home. I think that's probably payback is what you're thinking. And, and, and great-grandkids, I understand they're all great, but you know the great-grandkids, now you're even further removed from having to suffer for the, the spoiling that you do. But only Jesus saves. He came to save sinners. That's the gospel. And if we're looking to him to save, then my wife doesn't have to save me. My job doesn't have to save me. They don't have to complete me. I'm complete in him, and everything else is just blessing. Can you imagine how that would change the way that we live? Can you imagine how, how that would change the way that we approach things? Instead of disappointment, there'd be hope. Well, I was really kind of hoping this job, you know. I was really kind of hoping this car. I was really kind of hoping this house or this, whatever it is. But if our, all of our hopes and dreams, if our fulfillment is in Christ, everything else is just a blessing. Wouldn't you love to live a life with no disappointment? <laughs> I would. Some of you, yeah, if I just had enough money. <laughs> so let me, let me give you a couple of things and then we'll close uh, with three things for you to remember. One is this. You need to know that there is a spiritual battle. Here's what Paul says to Timothy down toward the end of that. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. What the Apostle Paul is reminding him, first of all, is that Timothy, as you address this false teaching, remember, everything hinges on the gospel. The gospel permeates everything you do in every area of your life, all through church. The gospel is this. The good news is that Jesus came to save sinners. And Timothy, don't forget that in the midst of all this, while you're addressing this in the church, that there is a spiritual battle. We live in a physical world, and, and it, it's hard for us to imagine anything else. Uh, if you've never read um, the, those two books, uh, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness, I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. Just don't do it like at 3 in the morning because it gets real creepy. Um, but, but we need to realize 
even though everything for us revolves in a physical world, that there is a spiritual world that we move and we work in. And we need to be aware there's a spiritual battle going on all the time. Satan shoots his little darts and says, you know, you just had that. You know, if you just do this. And, and he causes this, he, he began by causing Eve to doubt God's goodness. There's a spiritual battle. What the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy and what we need to remember is that, that we need to be engaged in this spiritual battle. You're in it. And if you're not engaged in it, then you're losing it. You need to be engaged in this spiritual battle. And the Apostle Paul reminds us, uh, he, he gives us really the, the armor of God in Ephesians, but he reminds us that, that you can't battle spiritual things with fleshly weapons. Your bank account isn't going to do that for you. Your relationships aren't going to do that for you. Uh, your intellect won't do that for you. Whenever things happen, I know because we live in a physical world, we, we, we try to fix it physically. I'm driving down the road and I blow a tire. 75 miles an hour on the way to Las Cruces. Happened actually a few years ago. Um, thought the world was coming to an end. You know, my first thing was, Jesus, you know, save me. But immediately I start thinking, oh, you know, as I'm pulling over to the side of the road, man, it's hot. I don't want to get out there and change this tire in the heat. And I have to start thinking, man, I haven't had this truck that long. I don't know how to change the tire on this truck. Where's the, I'm going to have to pull out the, the owner's manual and look and see where the, the jack is. And, and I've got to figure out how to get the spare tire down. And, oh, by the way, I haven't even looked. I hope I have a spare. <laughs> I hope there's got, it's got air in it, you know. And, and I'm, start, I'm working through all these things. And, and in all honesty, I, I really wish, because... You know, I'd start getting irritated, and then I get out, and I'm trying to change the tire in the heat, and I'm sweating like a dog, and people are driving by me at 75 miles an hour, and my truck's giving it this, you know, and nobody stopped to help me. And, and, and all these things, now, there's a spiritual battle happening there, but I was trying to fix it by changing my tire. I, I really wish that my, my first response would have been, God, I know that you're in control. And I know that, that this didn't catch you by surprise. And so, Lord, I'm just trusting you in all this as I get out. I, I don't have time for this, but, God, you're the one who's in charge of time. Um, I, I don't have I, I think I had to, Hillary was in front of me, and I had to, I think I had to tell her I'm, I'm going to be a little bit later getting her stuff to her. But I really wish, I really wish that I would have realized that there was a spiritual battle help happening there instead of trying to visit fix it with physical things that I would have engaged in prayer with God instead of that little short one that I prayed right away because I don't know if you've ever had a front tire blow at 75 miles an hour, but it'll, it'll give you your heart beats a, a little faster. And the second thing is this. The Apostle Paul says um, in the next verse, verse 20, I'm sorry, uh, verse 19, he says, holding faith and a good conscience. The, the Apostle Paul is, is saying to Timothy there, Timothy, as you engage in this spiritual battle, don't forget to keep trusting Jesus. You trusted Him, Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, 
by faith. So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul, I think, is reminding Timothy here, Timothy, just like you came to faith in Christ, that's how you walk in it. And you keep trusting Him in all of the spiritual battles that you're facing as you address this false teaching that's happening in this church. Don't forget to, to keep trusting Jesus. Now, this isn't a salvation thing. He's not saying you've got to hold on to Jesus or you know, you're going to get lost and, again. And uh, Hebrews deals with that pretty, pretty harshly that if you were able to lose your salvation, that Christ would have to be crucified again for you to get it back. I don't think he's talking about salvation here at all. I think he's talking about just walking the life of faith. Timothy, keep trusting Jesus. Don't trust in anything else. Don't trust in the teaching that I've taught you. Don't trust in the fact that you've been trained. Don't, don't trust in the fact that, that you grew up in a Christian home or you grew up in a godly home. Timothy, don't trust in all of those things. Timothy, you keep trusting in Jesus as you battle, as you engage in this spiritual battle. Keep trusting in Jesus for everything that you do. Let me give you the three things we'll close. First one is this, remember that only Jesus saves. Nothing else. And I know that's hard. We, I'm a fix-it kind of guy. Uh, any other guys? I don't know anything about it, but boy, I can fix it. I can at least take it apart. <laughs> My dad taught, taught me a lot of really good things. He taught me to work hard. He bought a grocery store when I was in fourth grade and um, taught me how to work hard. I, I, I learned to... Uh, run a cash register um, in fourth grade. I, I know it's hard for you to believe this, but when I was so short that I couldn't reach the cash register, um, put milk crates uh, all across, and so I'd walk on these milk crates over, and, and I would ring you up, and then I'd walk over here, and I would sack the groceries. And So he taught me, taught me how to work hard. He, he taught me a lot of really good stuff, but there's one thing that my dad taught me that just wasn't true, and, and I really had to get past this uh, in, in in my walk with Christ. My dad taught me that if you worked hard enough, you could do anything. And it's just not true. I can't save me. I can't change my heart. I can't change your heart. I can't change my kid's heart. Someday when I get there, I'm not going to be able to change my grandkid's heart. I can't make me a better Jesus. <laughs> I, I can't make myself into the image of Jesus. I can't do that. There's some things I can't do. In fact, there's a lot of things I can't do. I need to remember that only Jesus saves. There is fulfillment in no one and nothing else. Only Jesus. The second thing is this. We need to remember that we're in a spiritual battle. And I know that we can talk about it here and we can be aware of that. Maybe we can even be aware of it as we go stand in line um, to, to get some food in, in just a little while um, waiting and, and maybe the service is not quite up to where we were. Maybe, maybe then we can remember still that we're in a spiritual battle. But I tell you, it's hard when you get up in the morning to remember that you're in a spiritual battle. If your dog is like mine, actually it's not even my dog, it's my wife's dog. If your dog is like my wife's dog, that he decides on the one day that I can sleep in a little, that 5.15 is a good time to get up. Hard to remember, we're in a spiritual battle. 
when you're down at Walmart and you're trying to find a parking spot and it's really hot. When, when the line that you get in, this, this used to happen to me all the time. It hasn't happened lately, but the line you get in is the one that's, that is the person in training. I don't know why they put them in an ex- express line, but the person who's in training or the computers go down. See, tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, it's a lot harder to remember we're in a spiritual battle when you and your wife don't see things the same way. When you and your neighbor don't see things the same way or you and your friend. or That's when it's hard to remember. It's a spiritual battle. In fact, I've said it before, but I'll say it again to you guys. If your enemy has a face, you've got the wrong enemy. Because the Apostle Paul says, we don't battle against flesh and blood. And man, I know that's hard. When you're going along and somebody says something, that's Texas, something. When somebody says something to you and it just hits you wrong, it's hard to remember I'm in a spiritual battle and that's not my enemy. That person is not my enemy. Satan is my enemy. We need to remember that we're in a spiritual battle. And then finally, we need to remember that we are to trust only Jesus. Only trust in him. I think that's one of those lively new hymns, isn't it? (laughs) Only trust him. We don't need to trust in anything else because everything else will let you down. It's empty. Only he can fulfill, only he can save, only he can redeem, only he can change, only he can complete. You see, that's the gospel. That's what it means, the gospel, when we say that, is that Jesus came to save sinners. That part in the beginning, justification, this this messy part in the middle that we live in called sanctification, where he's working on us and in us and and we still, we, we live in two worlds. One is a physical world, and, and, and we have all the things that go along with that, but we also live in the spiritual world with the spiritual battles that come along. Jesus came to save sinners. And that'll continue until we get to the, the last part of salvation, which is called glorification. And that's when we'll all be perfect. And I can't even start to imagine what that's going to be like. Can you imagine no sin, no temptation, no hurt. And every time I say no pain, I think about my knees, but it goes way beyond that. No, no hurt. Let me challenge you today. Because the question that I come to when I get to the end of this passage is, what am I trusting in? What am I trusting in? What, what am I hoping will save me? What am I hoping that will complete me or will take care of that emptiness or, or will fix this? Because if it's anything other than Jesus, I'm, I'm trusting the wrong thing. So let me challenge you with that question. What are you trusting in? If it's anything other than Jesus, he, here's what I want us to do today. In fact, we can all do this, no matter where you are in your your faith journey, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, whether you you met him last week or you've known him for 37 years. I would challenge us today to, to, to pray this prayer. 
God, I trust in Jesus alone. Would you help me do that better? I trust in Jesus alone. God, would you help me do that better? And you know he will. When you pray according to God's will, his answer is always yes. Isn't that great? Kids, try this. Are you ready? Go home and say, Dad, can I take the trash out? I'd be shocked if they said no. Mom, can I clean the house for you? I'd be, I'd be shocked if they said no. When we pray, knowing that that's what God wants for us, his answer is yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me challenge you to pray that. God, today, just right now, I, I just want to go from here on trusting in Jesus alone. Would you help me do that better? Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing. The, the, the picture that we have with Paul as he writes to Timothy of how he went from persecutor of the church to really proclaimer of the gospel is just amazing. And Paul gives us a little glimpse into his testimony that you pursued him and that, and that you were patient in, in your pursuit of him and, and, and that, God, we know that you're that way with us. And we just thank you for that. God, we thank you that you're faithful even when we're not. And, and Lord, this morning I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to, to come to you and just, just to make this proclamation to you that God, today, right now, from here on, that I trust in Jesus alone. I don't trust in any relationship. I don't trust in any ability I have. I don't trust in, in, in my finances or anything else. I don't trust in any other person or any other thing that I trust in Jesus alone. God, would you help me do that better? And Lord, as we pray that, I just ask that your Holy Spirit just confirm in our heart that that's your will for us. And that you'll answer that in an amazing way. And God, if there's something that we've been holding on to other than Christ, I just pray that, Lord, lovingly, gently, you just pry our little fingers loose. God, that we could, we could just latch on to the fact that you love us more than we could ever know. That you want the best for us and that, God, we can trust you because of who you are. And we can trust you because you'll do what you say you're going to do. God, I pray that as we pray that today, that you would just move and work in our hearts. Change us. Make us more like Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.